0: Hi Titans, I'm feeling very happy today. Okay, (laughs) welcome back to another episode of the CSUF podcast, a show where we chat about all things CSUF. Please don't leave because of my bad jokes. This is going to be an amazing podcast that you are going to want to listen to, I promise. As always, I'm your host, Mirabelle Isaiya. Are you wondering why you are not satisfied or have found happiness in your life even though you're following the right path and are the busiest person in your friend group? Do you still feel like something is missing even though you're working hard to achieve your goals? Are you unsatisfied in your relationships, lonely, and feel like you don't have a support system even though you have a partner and plenty of friends, family, and people around you? This week. I had the pleasure of interviewing CSUF College of Communications Professor Dr. Jessica Camrath about her class entitled Communication and the Art of Happiness. This week, Dr. Camrath and I are going to blow your mind and show you how you can take charge of your life and create your own unique version of happiness that will keep you satisfied and push you toward success how to stay happy through rough times, changing negative mindsets and language around happiness, and how we can stop deferring our destiny and start on our happiness journey. So if you've been waiting for a sign to better your life and better yourself for the people around you, keep on listening. Okay, that's enough marketing. Let's get into this convo. Take it away, Professor JK. Get it? Her initials are JK. And she teaches a happiness class? (laughs) No? Okay, fine, whatever. Let's just get into the podcast. Hi, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm feeling amazing and feeling happy. Super excited to talk about happiness with you. Are I'm you-
1: excited too. So,
0: would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes. So, my name is Jessica Camera. I work in the Human Communication Studies Department at Cal State Fullerton in the College of Communications, and I'm excited to be here.
0: Oh, yay! I'm so excited to have you on the CSU podcast. So, you have a PhD in organizational communication leadership communication, and sports communication. What made you want it to go into happiness? Like what was that transition? When
1: I was at Arizona State University, I started studying organizational well-being and happiness. I actually used to be a high school teacher. I taught English. I was a coach for about five years in Arizona. And what I noticed was there was just a lot of people leaving the profession and a lot of people really getting burnt out. I myself was a little bit burnt out, so I really wanted to figure out how people could really be happy at work, I started studying things like organizational well-being and resilience. And luckily enough, my advisor at the time had created a course called Communication and the Art of Happiness and asked me to take it over and start teaching it. It really completely changed my life being able to teach the class and to develop and design the course. That's really what got me into starting research and teach about happiness. And it was really linked to this idea of how can we be happy at work? One of
0: your studies was increasingly. Subjective Happiness Levels in University Students. So can you tell me a little bit more about
1: that research? Because I found that very interesting. So it was really an extension of teaching the course, wanting some empirical evidence to show that this course had a positive impact. The course is taught from a transformational approach, which essentially means that we're pushing students to question their worldviews and taken for granted assumptions about the way that they think about happiness, the way that they think about success. This was really the tip of the iceberg. It was a very low-level study and just looking at did it increase subjective happiness levels in students. We did a survey for students that took the class and then students who didn't take the class and turned out that students who took the class did score higher on the Oxford Happiness Questionnaire testing subjective happiness. Interestingly enough, the stress levels of the students, there was no significant difference.
0: How interesting that their stress levels were similar. In the Finding Happiness article from the CSUF News Center, you said happiness is created intentionally through language and action. If we can define it for ourselves, then we can intentionally create it in our lives. Do these intentional actions and languages pertain to how we talk to and about ourselves or how we talk to other people? I would
1: actually argue that it's both. So the whole idea of teaching this from a communication perspective is that happiness and related concepts like success work and those types of things are really constructed in language and Through human behaviors, interactions, intentions, and communicative acts. And language really creates action. So the way that we think about things, the way that we perceive things and talk about things is directly correlated with our action. If students can become aware of some of their taken for granted assumptions, beliefs, and worldviews about success or happiness, and the ways that those might be constraining them from actually being happy, the way that we talk about those things, the way that we talk to other people about ourselves and about happiness, happiness, if we can become aware of some of our default ways of thinking or our constraining ways of thinking, we can open up the space to really create happiness in our own lives through these intentional behaviors and through communicative acts. We really rely on these more dominant discourses about what happiness is. And so happiness in many ways is defined for us by the way that society talks about happiness, the way that society talks about success. And unfortunately then, if we don't fit in, into that mold or that framework of what society is telling us happiness is, the way that it's talked about in society, then unfortunately we feel like something's wrong with us. Why can't I be happy? Or if we get those things that society is saying will make us happy and then we're still not happy, then we're like, well, something must be wrong with me. So it really is about a shift in mindset in the way that we talk about happiness and the way that we think about happiness. So we can work on defining what those things mean for ourselves.
0: Jim- Carrie said, the effect that you have on others is the most valuable currency you have. What are your thoughts?
1: I think social support is one of the most important aspects about this class. If we can shift our own mindset, I think that it opens up a space for us to really positively impact others. And one of the things that I'll say about this is this is not about telling somebody how to be happy or how to be or act, then going in and defining success and happiness for them based on your experience but if you can try to get people in a space to kind of open up their mind be okay with being confronted with why do you believe what you do about happiness why do you believe what you do about success or what work should look like and you can have those conversations and really become aware of some of the ways that your mindsets might constraining you then you can have that positive impact on others but it's, it's a very careful balance because again you don't want to go into impacting others by telling them how to be or how to act or if you just do this you'll be happier if you just follow these five tips you'll which we have tendency to do in our society just follow these five things and then all of a sudden when we do those five things and we're not happy we're like okay well something must be wrong with us and so i think jim carrey definitely is on to something in terms of how we might impact others there's
0: no step to step guide i think as a society we have a tendency, actually, it's just human nature to want a quick fix. So I'm very into self-development and, you know, learning more about myself. Like I definitely want to become a better person, learn how to be happier. So I do a lot of research on that. And I always see like, here's five steps to be happy, five things that have to do. And it's kind of unfair because they'll be giving tips like, oh, wake up earlier, like tips on how to be more successful and more productive rather than, happiness feels very monetary. Yes,
1: that. that really is where I think communication scholars can really bring something to the table because that's from that popular psychology approach. A popular psychology is really focused on kind of the outcome, the behaviors, follow these five steps and then you'll be happy versus what is really the way we talk about something, the communication, our mindsets, the way we think about things and perceive things, and then how does that impact the way that we're able to create that in our own lives or the way that we're able to act upon that. And so people don't always want to hear from com scholars because a lot of the times we don't have, here's five things you can do and then you'll be happy magically.
0: Even saying fronted, you said that you confront your students and tell them like, okay, what have you been told? That's terrifying. I yes. can't imagine like getting that question and being, okay, wait, what part of this is me being told? Because we're on autopilot. So it's like, it's very interesting to me and very like valuable to me that in the class, the students are being confronted with societal narratives and kind of face that terrifying fact that maybe their thoughts aren't always their own.
1: You know, we know from communication research that if our identity is threatened in any way, we really respond in the same way as if our physical being was being threatened by a bear. And that's why you see people having a really difficult time having conversations about certain topics, politics, because if we feel like our belief system, which is part of our identity, is being threatened, we're going to be defensive and we're going to attack back. It's a very delicate process starting in the class with kind of breaking down some of those general dominant discourses. And that's why it is so important to have each piece of the class place where they are able to critically reflect and do their own practice and then have the support system of both myself and the other students in the class as they're going through this process. Because it can be challenging in some ways to have, you know, what you believe for a very long time about, again, success or work or happiness for that to be challenged.
0: Over the last year, you and your family endured some extremely tough circumstances. And you specifically said that the techniques you were sharing and teaching in your class became your saving grace through that incredibly hard time. Can you please explain some of the techniques you implemented to get yourself through that
1: rough time? As I'm sure our audience can absolutely resonate. Yeah, definitely. It's really more of this continuous process and the circumstances of your life is continually going to be changing. It is difficult to break it down. Here's the techniques that I used. And so those in turn will work for you. But I think it really is this shift in mindset that has been happening since I've been teaching the class. And what I'll say is, for me, I just am really grateful to be able to teach this class because what it does for me is it's almost like a built-in accountability where I was teaching the class in fall of 2020 when both my husband and I got COVID and we were being really safe and he had to go back to school and go back to coaching and I was pregnant and my husband got really sick. During that time, the beginning of the year, my mother-in-law passed away from COVID and then my husband's grandma passed away, not COVID, but just from natural causes later on in that year. So it was a saving grace that I was teaching the class at the time because it becomes in our mind, like to tell ourselves like I'm going through a tough time. So it's difficult for me to continue some of these intentional activities and to put the time into intentional creating happiness in my own life, but that's usually the time that we need it most. And so I was able to continue some of the practices that I was already doing. And for me, some of the practices that I engage in are every morning, I have a routine where I practice gratitude, I write for 10 minutes in a journal, I do mindfulness using the Headspace app. So those are some of the practices that I was able to continue. And then just having the support system of my students to continue to engage in these processes so I could reframe the way that I was looking at and thinking about how these situations occurred. And so to be able to reframe some of the way that the situations were coming towards me allowed me to really continue to navigate through some of these situations and kind of come out on the other end more in a way where I was able to gain some post-traumatic growth from those experiences. And I think one also important point here is a lot of research now on toxic positivity. It's not about being positive just to be positive and not experiencing your full range of emotions. And so for me, I have always really struggled with crying and being emotional or even people emotional around me. I feel like it's a sign of weakness, maybe that I'm not being strong if I'm not experiencing a full range of emotion. One of the things that we do in the class is understanding that actually our emotions are telling us to actually feel sad, to feel angry and to understand that it's teaching us something about what's going on in our life in that moment and then to be able to kind of navigate through that and reframe some of what's going on in order to be able to create the best situation for ourselves or the way that we're seeing the situation. That's really what it's about and staying a part of that process, continuing to do the intentional activities versus here are the three techniques that I used and so they'll in turn work for you.
0: So you were saying that you keep to your routine and you try to keep up the work that you had in your class and like that must have been really difficult to go through. That's being vulnerable and saying your experience because that's extremely difficult. I really do appreciate it. I did want to ask, why do you think Headspace was helpful for you?
1: Meditation and mindfulness is something that's always been difficult for me. So i like to use more of the guided meditation, the guided mindfulness. And that's why the app is really helpful for me because it talks me through it. I don't have a tension span. It's just a little bit easier to navigate and get myself in the right mindset and create that right mindset for my day. And it's easy to kind of get caught in your own head, thinking about all the bad things that are going on to see things really negative. And so if I can just stop for a minute and give myself some space to say, okay, what are my intentions for the day? What are my goals for the day? How do I want this day to go? And what am I really grateful for in my life right now? Research shows that it really can shift the way that you really approach your entire, but again, remaining compassionate with myself and staying in the process and flexible that maybe that team didn't work for whatever reason on a particular day and that that was okay. I was allowed to feel my full range of emotions because my mindset was like, okay, I need to stay strong. My husband's in the bedroom. He can't come out. He's barely, you know, he's not talking, he's got fevers every day, I need to be strong for my students and be there for them. The words you used too was this idea of being vulnerable and for me, being vulnerable and being emotional in front of other people and even people that would come to me and show their emotions was difficult for me and so that was like a continuous practice and still is really for me to say it's okay to be vulnerable in front of people and it's okay to um, experience all of these emotions and it's okay for other people to experience these emotions We don't have to try to push away certain emotions because then that actually inhibits our ability to feel the good emotions if we try to bury down and push down the negative emotions.
0: The pushing away of emotions and being afraid to be vulnerable, I think that's something that I really need to work on. Realizing that the more vulnerable that I am with people, the easier it is for me to be more passionate for myself because you have empathy for yourself. I feel like you can have empathy for other people. So again, I feel like that's so strong, even being vulnerable in front of people and being vulnerable, expressing your emotions can be so terrifying. You said that you tried to journal about what you're grateful for. So can I
1: ask you, what are you grateful for today? Oh, sorry. It's like, that's a thing about becoming a mom, I think too, is like you get a little bit more emotional, but um, <clears throat> I'm really grateful for having a healthy son and, you know, being able to experience now being a mom and having him in my life. And the fact that my husband and I are both healthy, we're here and we're able to, be a part of his life, and I'm just really grateful for that. And I'm really grateful, I know this sounds really cliche, but for the opportunity to continue to talk to people about this work and to teach this class. So to be able to talk to you today, now I'm going to get to teach this class again in the fall and again in the spring, bring this work to more and more people and hopefully continue to positively impact the lives of my students.
0: Thank you for sharing that with me. So cool to hear. In class, your students utilize accountability sheets to help check in with themselves and help them become more resilient. How does being resilient help with overall happiness and why are these accountability sheets utilized? The accountability
1: piece is a really really important piece and part of the accountability piece actually of trying to shift our mindset about accountability in the first place. When we think about accountability and we think about integrity, kind of attach this moral stigma to it. Think about it as be careful and clear about the commitments that we make so that we can keep our word and follow through with those commitments. What this gets students to get clear on is there's not one right path and it's a continuous process and it's a continuous journey. What students need to do with their accountability sheets is they write their goals, what they had committed to doing and then what they ended up actually doing and what they didn't do. It also forces them to reflect, you no know, why didn't I do this? Is this not something that I really actually think is going to fit my lifestyle? Because when students are picking their happiness goals, they want to find goals that are feasible yet stretching. So it's feasible, it's going to fit within their lifestyle, yet it stretches them a little bit. And they want to find things that actually make them happy, that they're not just going through the motions and checking it off their list. If students can really get clear that it's not about being right or wrong, that it's really just more of a learning piece, this is working in my life, this is not working in my life, some of the circumstances may have changed, and they can continually be flexible with their intentional activities, then it's going to allow allow them to continue this process and these intentional activities in the future and to change them in accordance with what might be happening in their life I think this is really where the art of happiness comes in that why this is named communication and the art of happiness because it really does become an art art form, a creation like you're creating this in your own life and you're continually changing it's not just this tangible thing oh I went out and I found happiness and I put it in my pocket and now it's there forever. Or this destination, it's this continuous process and that's why these five tips to creating happiness, it's not going to just get there and then you're going to get there and then you don't have to do any work after that. It's a lot of work. Students need to make commitments about their intentional practice, engage in that practice, reflect on that practice and continually be assessing, recommitting to that practice and this is a way for students to do that and it's a way for me to help them and hold them accountable and then it gives them kind of a piece for discussion to talk about with other students and challenge each other. You know, why didn't you commit to that? Let's talk through this and kind of talk through the process with other students that are also in the midst of this journey through the means of the class.
0: Wow. So it's an upkeep. It's a consistent upkeep that takes work, commitment, and what you said, resilience. Yes. And what kind of stuck out to me was you said that the students discuss their accountability sheets
1: together. Yes. That's (laughs) <laughs> That's the thing, right? You kind of almost cringe a little bit even talking about it because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to be made to feel bad because I didn't do something that I committed to. And continually saying to the students, remember, it's not about being right or wrong or good or bad. It's just about a piece of data almost that we can say, okay, what does this mean? Does this mean that I need to make change some of my goals or shift some of my goals, reassess some of my goals, and allows them to kind of get in the habit and the practice of doing this as they continue to go through their lives so that they can be in the process of it and continue intentionally practicing things that are going to create happiness in their own lives.
0: I like the fact that it's data-driven. So it's literally creating data for yourself and making it simpler. Because a lot of people think that like happiness is an illusion. I think that that's like kind of like the consensus. But just creating data, making it a simpler concept and then staying in the process.
1: Yes. I have them practice each of the different areas as we talk about them. So they have some practice that they do each week and then they reflect on that in a journal. So they journal each week and that's separate from the accountability sheets and it just gets them the ability to kind of sample and reflect and it again helps them become aware of some of their default ways of thinking that might be constraining them from being happy. There are certain things that we do that in the midst of it are really frustrating, but they become this data piece that actually gives the students something. For example, they do this time assessment and they have to write down what they do almost every 15 to 30 minutes what they're doing with their time because a lot of us we get in this competition well I'm too busy for that and I am busier than you all of a sudden we're in the busy competition of who's the busiest I don't have time for meditation and I don't have time for exercise when we really assess our time and see where we're putting our time if we're actually putting our time into the things that we're passionate about and that we want to be putting our time into or if our time that we're spending is in alignment with our goals that we we have for ourselves, for our life, for our relationships. We really get clear that maybe I'm not putting my time into the spaces that I want to put my time into, things that actually energize me, give me flow. All of a sudden, I've got eighty percent of my time going to stuff that I don't even really like, or people that I don't really like. Sometimes it forces people to even assess some of the relationships that they have that be are toxic and that they need to start to remove themselves from.
0: So that was interesting. Like the badge of honor being busy. Like that's an huge other thing. Like I know like even like with my friends, it'll be like, oh, like I'm too busy for this or I'm too busy for that. I've honestly come up with like a very strict routine now and I document it too. Breaks more meditation for journaling. That's very interesting. Badge of honor being busy. You can schedule it in if you want to. That's something you can do.
1: And to your point, hone in on this where communication and the way we talk about things is so important. That is the dominant discourse in society. If you aren't busier than the next person, there's something wrong with you. You're not doing it right. If you have time for things that are fun and exciting and that you're passionate about, you must not be doing it right because that means you're not busy enough and you're not working hard enough. And so this is where we have to break down the way that society is talking about what success means. If you're busier than the next person, then you must be more productive and more successful if we can break down some of those discourses and realize that we can define it for ourselves. The other thing is really encourage my students to start using the 90 minute genius sessions. And what we know based on the research is we only have a certain amount of attention span to Or We can get so much more done in three 90 minute sessions with 15 minute breaks in between, or even breaking those down into 45 minute sessions than to wake up and say, I've got to work from 8am to 10pm tonight to get done all the things that I need to get done today. And so we get up in this rushed mindset, like I've got to be busy, 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 and I've got all these things to do today. And it's going to take me all day to do it. And I don't have any time for meditation on if we can... And break it up, it really helps chunk up our time and incorporate those breaks. And also, we're much more productive when we use those blocks of time like that.
0: That's really great advice. I'm definitely going to be looking into that three blocks of time because I feel like that would actually really help me, especially when I'm editing the podcast. This is what yeah. I like actually really fell in love with, like thinking about those 30 minute breaks because I wait till the last minute and then edit for like eight hours. And it's like, girl, no, like, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> yeah. According to the 75 year long Harvard study on happiness, happy, healthy relationships were the most most prominent standard of happy, aka good relationships keep us happy. What do you think about that?
1: I think it goes back to the ways that we think about and talk about relationships and what equals a healthy relationship. We know in communication that we like to say things like, if we just communicated more, or if we just communicated better, we have a better relationship. And those words really don't necessarily mean anything concrete that we can actually utilize in creating a better relationship. But if we think about relationships in the terms that are given to us by society. You need to go to college and then you need to graduate and then you need to get married and then you need to have kids and your relationship is supposed to look this way. A lot of times we can get caught up in, okay, our relationship is supposed to look this way, but it doesn't. So there must be something wrong and we tend to create a problem where there may not even be a problem. We can define our relationships for ourselves. It's going to help us a lot and we can learn how how to manage conflict through different ways that we communicate with each other, Then it's going to create healthier relationships. And I agree that support and relationships are really one of the biggest keys to happiness. In fact, we look at a study in the class on what the secrets of the centenarians and these blue zones, and it's these areas in the world where people are thriving. They're not just living to be over a hundred, but they're actually thriving. They're immersed in their community, having healthy relationships being physically active, they're just thriving at over 100. And one of the things that they find about these communities is that they have really strong relationships and a strong support system that's helping them in all different ways. Childcare, a strong family unit, having the right people in your life to support you and your passions is going to help being a lot happier and students start to realize that there's certain relationships that they're continuing that aren't the best for them. They might be kind of more toxic relationships and learning to forgive and maybe let go and even remove themselves from that situation and surrounding themselves with people that are going to create a positive social support system.
0: Sometimes I think that we get like addicted to the pain. So very easy to stay in a toxic relationship because the highs are so high and the lows are so low. And it's like that constant roller coaster, and it feels good for a while, but then it just starts to really deteriorate hurt because I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, the most successful relationships are like relationships that really last are ones that are that have validation, feel validated in that relationship. There's, I don't want to say like amazing communication, but like you're not afraid of conflict because having conflict is important and the fear of conflict can get really muddy. Like if you're walking on eggshells, then how is like a relationship supposed to get better? And feeling comfortable and safe. That's yeah. what I think a great relationship have. Another thing that I wanted to say is I think that even our relationships, not what you're saying with social media, even our relationships have been commodified now. Because yes. if you see on social media, and I'm sure that you've seen this, and it's like, when did people in relationships become a status contest? Yeah. When did it start becoming like a relationship is monetary and simple? A relationship isn't, it's not a trophy. At the yeah. End of the day. And I just think that that's one very scary um, and something that I've seen myself fall into too. So it's something that I want to talk to you about and see your thoughts on. A couple
1: of things there. One of the things you talk about about conflict, we know that avoiding conflict actually doesn't end well, and it doesn't remove the conflict. So again, managing conflict through communication strategies is huge. And we also know that unmet expectations are one of the biggest reasons that people have conflict in relationships. Part of that is about expectations sometimes are unset expectations. And sometimes we tend to have these expectations on our partners that we don't tell them. And then when they don't meet those expectations, we get upset, but we never have actually said what those expectations are. And that sometimes keeps can impede our relationships and about love. Even words we use when we talk about love are really destructive. Going along the lines of what I've been really talking about, the way we talk about things is then the way we act and perceive them, frame them. One of the activities my students do is is really to think about the ways that they think about relationships, the way that they think about love, and how some of the ways that they've talked about love can actually be constraining them from actually having a healthy relationship or seeing love in a way that's really positive.
0: You have said that because of your class, students completely change their career trajectory to reflect their own personal needs and wants rather than what society is telling them they should want and need. This is huge because especially right now, we are extremely focused on hustle culture and this idea of success that is completely monetary and based on what people see on social media. Can you explain how you get your students to focus on themselves and their true wants and needs?
1: Class is really taught from this transformational approach. And so it prompts students examine dominant discourses of success. For example, we have this activity we do in class where I have the students draw the American dream. Now, we think of ourselves as being really independent thinkers in our society. You know, my American dream is going to be different from the person sitting next to me. Well, what ends up happening is most pictures have a lot of the same elements. And what we learn from that is these dominant discourses about success and the American dream and what our relationship should look like and what happiness looks like. They frame everything that we do and the way that we see things. And so all of these pictures look very similar. And so we start to deconstruct, why do our pictures look similar when we all come from different backgrounds? We all have different dreams and aspirations. But yet when I asked to draw a picture of the American dream, it looks very similar to the person sitting next to me. Get them to start thinking for themselves about how do I define success for myself? How do I define career for myself? What does that actually look like? And also doing activities where they align what 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 are their beliefs and values? What are their passions? And how is that aligned with the work that they're going to be doing and what they might be doing in the future? They also do what's called a reflective best self project, which students really dislike because what it forces them to do is actually reach out to people in their life, to 10 people and ask them a bunch of questions, essentially get them to answer what it looks like when I'm at my best. Well, of course, that feels uncomfortable. Tell me something good about me once they get through the uncomfortable. Comfortableness of the process, it really ends up being this great activity where they create this best self-portrait. They are able to take a look at some of their strength that might align with their best self and what other people have said, some future goals, some long-term and short-term goals, and then this future memo to self. And I've had students email me way after they've taken the class and said, oh my gosh, I just get confidence in myself again. I've had students completely change their career trajectories. Like, well, originally I was like this This is what I'm doing because this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to get this job and I'm going to work my way up the ladder. Except now I'm realizing that's not what I want to do. I want to travel and move to Australia, do all of these things that I'm passionate about. They make it happen because they're open mindset to make the steps, create the steps. So
0: it sounds like that really helps with confidence. And it just seems like this idea of happiness is within yourself. You're not giving students answers at all. No. You're allowing them to come up with their own narratives and they are allowed to control their own viewpoint. It's not like they're not thinking of their own socialization. They're thinking of what's on the inside and what they actually want. That's so powerful. It is terrifying. I was was just going to say that it
1: is very scary for my students, and I just want to reiterate that it's not lost on me that this process can be very challenging for students, and I have to tread lightly when I'm pushing them, and each student's a little bit different, and ensure that they're okay as we're going through this process. For example, we do have one unit on forgiveness. Students practice and they write a forgiveness letter that they don't have to send. A lot of what we're doing and breaking down these dominant discourses is also challenging students' identities and what they've held true for a very long time. And that also, I wanna make sure that I'm challenging students in a way that's going to open up that space and will allow them to become aware of maybe things that have been constraining the ways that they've thought about happiness or how to be happy so that they can open up the space to then create it for themselves and define it for themselves.
0: So for students who are not able to take your class this semester, what are just some advice that you can give to like start on their happiness journey, the starting point that you can just give
1: to our audience? Intentionally creating happiness definitely takes work. It, intentionality and it's a process. It's hard to minimize it down into these tips, but what I would say is if you can start to just be open to critically questioning and examining your worldviews or maybe your taken for granted assumptions about about happiness, success, well-being, and how you define happiness or success and where those definitions come from, and see if that actually aligns with your passions and your beliefs and who you set yourself out to be. If you can start to kind of break down maybe some of the ways that you're thinking about happiness and start to redefine it for yourself and start to question some of these societal norms about the ways that we think about happiness and success and careers supposed to look like and what your relationships are supposed to look like, then you can start to identify and reframe some of your default ways of thinking that might constrain you. Of course, the more obvious ones are you want to create goals for yourself that you will intentionally practice. Make sure that your goals are feasible yet stretching and they're action oriented, something that you do intentionally each day and allow yourself to be a part of the process and to shift and change those goals depending on what's working and what's not and that there's not this end goal. I think this really helps people stop deferring happiness. And what I mean by that is a lot of people defer happiness to, well, once I graduate, then I'll be happy. Once I get done with this class, then I'll be happy. Once I get married, then I'll be happy. Once I pay off this debt, then I'll be happy. Once I do this, then I'll be happy. And we continue deferring happiness to some other point. And what you need to do is start creating it now. You want to move away from deferring happiness until you this or that goal and use the intentional activities or mini goals or gratitude practice and live in that process. Intentionally creating happiness through your mindset and your day behavior. Each day, engage in something. You're not too busy to engage in something, whether it's a gratitude list, meditation, just really creating habits. And lastly, I'll just say it's so important to find that social support and to surround yourself with people that are willing to engage with you in question some of those worldviews and taken for granted assumptions and continually challenge you and to not feel threatened by that challenge and then support you in your journey. Because I think that's the other thing is we tend to if somebody really is a happy person or they're talking about happiness how they're creating it in their own lives we tend to default to the negative oh that person's so annoying they're just all peppy and happy all the time and every day and who wants to be around them let's talk about how crappy our day is and how busy we are and how we don't have time for this it really gets exhausting cynical and I know that from coming from a space of prior to teaching this class and becoming involved in this work being a really negative and and cynical person, and I was always busier than every single one of my friends. I don't care what they told me, but I could come up with a reason that I was busier than them. And if they tried to reframe something for me to make it so that it was a more positive light, I would say, "Well, but." And then deferring happiness. So find support to engage in these activities and really challenge yourself.
0: That's really hard to challenge yourself. And yes, that you said that you used to be a negative person because there's like a badge of honor of being like the negative one they're like oh well i'm being the one that's straightforward i'm being honest realistic
1: versus idealistic
0: exactly and it took a very long time for me to realize that it's okay to be happy that it is okay that I want to be the golden retriever in the friend group that's coming up to people and like, hi, how are you? It's so nice to meet you. Oh, your nails look nice. Oh, your hair looks nice. Like, it's fine. That's okay. And I think that that's made me a happier person. My goal now, every time that I walk out of the house or like I meet someone new is how can I make their day? Or like, how can I just make them smile in some way? I try to think, connect with them emotionally in any way that I can. Even if it's somebody that I'm meeting at the grocery store because that makes me happy. Creating small, tiny instances of those relationships makes me so happy. And I think that we think that we have to be on autopilot all the time, that nobody cares that we're around and we have to shell ourselves and be tiny. But I don't think that that's it at all. I think that we can be confident and we can be proud of our confidence and not scared of, I don't know, acting a fool or maybe some people somebody doesn't like it. That's fine. That's yeah.
1: It. I love what you just said because you are really already embracing this idea of intentionality, like that you are waking up every day and intentionally Choosing choices that we have because we like to believe that we're doing something out of obligation versus that we have a choice about how we perceive the day. And for you to wake up and intentionally do that, that's a small practice that's really going to make a huge impact on your day. And I totally agree with you about this badge of honor. We talk about rumination and how we can get so caught up in the complaining, which complaining actually, research shows that there is some positive benefits to complaining. But when it comes, Comes rumination where you can't stop talking about it you're obsessing about it that it plays a negative role in your life and really here's the thing this idea of narrative and creating our own story and our that is the reality story our own lives we want to create stories about our life that actually have a positive impact on us and that serve us not stories that actually are going to constrain us and that's why the way we talk about things is so important and if we talk about things in a negative manner they're going to show up for us in a negative manner and that's just the reality of it my mission is to be a better person for the people around me and for myself
0: because at the end of the day this is a person that i'm gonna end up with like yeah human that i'm gonna live with for the rest of my life and i need to be happy with that and okay with that it's tough i have tough moments i'm sad i do have depressive moments anxiety a lot when i feel like i can't go something yeah
1: that's okay it's okay that i have those thoughts or those emotions if we can talk about ourselves in a really positive and big way and not feel bad about it that we can be that i think it allows for us to be bigger people if we talk about ourselves in a more positive light i I love your
0: perspective thank you so much again just taking the time to interview with me and I, i really enjoyed this conversation again like i'm so fascinated and now for my last question why are you proud to be a titan
1: that's a great question too. I mean, there's so many reasons, but bring up again, when my husband and I were going through a tough time and we both got COVID, I think that I really was able to find out what it means to be a Titan. People reached out to me. I had graduate students emailing me to see if I was okay, sending me DoorDash gift cards. My department head was calling me every other day to see how I was doing. The sense of community from Cal State Fullerton just realized what it to be a part of this Fullerton community and what it meant to be a Titan. It just made me proud to be a Titan and be a part of this Titan community. That
0: makes me so happy that our community came and really uplifted you through such a hard And again, thank you so much for being vulnerable with me. You were able to do that. That means a lot. I'm serious. And it- thank you again, something hard for me to do. So I'm always amazed when somebody comes to me and like tells me their story. Thank you so much. Sure. I think a lot of people are going to be really excited to hear it because happiness is a subject that sometimes we don't want to talk about. Yeah. I'm here to say that uh, it sucks because I'm writing a podcast about it. So. Anyways, to end off, would you like to plug any of your social medias or any of the human communication social medias?
1: Well, one of the things I wanted to mention is the class this semester is offered as HCOM 452, and it has been approved to be on the regular course rotation, but it will be offered as HCOM 428 starting in the spring semester. The number will change. That doesn't mean the class changes. We'll be able to offer it every single semester. Instagram. is h my instagram is just l i l k a m 17
0: thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate it and it was just great to get to know you and talk to you i think i could probably talk to you for hours so yeah i could
1: talk to you for hours too so but i mean i can just talk for hours so
0: <laughs> really nice to meet you Jace, thanks for keeping me happy thank you bye Thank you again so much to Jessica Kamraff for taking the time to come on the of podcast and talk about communication and the art of happiness. This was such an amazing interview that I think I learned a lot from and I hope that you learned a lot from too. If there's one takeaway I can give to you, it is that you have the potential and the ability to create your own happiness in your life. So now I implore you to please send this podcast to a person that might not be feeling the happiest today because I'm sure that this will give them the little push that they need to realize that happiness is within ourselves and we can't find it within other people we have the capacity to do it ourselves well titans that's all I have for this week so stay positive stay safe and don't forget to follow at CSU official on all social media platforms you can also find coronavirus updates at coronavirus.florton.edu once again, I'm your host, Mirabella Sais, signing off.